0: Almost every parent has probably heard this request at some point. Daddy, can you read me a story? And our favorite stories, whether they're from Tolkien or Lewis or some other favorite author, often become woven into our family's lore and, and even our sense of identity. And I think with good stories, that's a good thing because they shape our hearts and souls in important ways. And I honestly think that's why Jesus told so many stories. Jesus knew the power of of a good story, and when new stories emerge that engage our hearts and imagination in delightful ways, it's a thing of wonder. Hmm. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, by now you're probably wondering which story I'm talking about, and the answer is the one from writer and singer Andrew Peterson. It's called The Wing Feather Saga. Now, it's not exactly new, first one came out way back in 2008 which feels like a long time ago and then goes through four books that were published through 2014 well now Wingfeather has used the same crowdfunding model that the chosen used and this beloved christian fantasy book series has become an animated series as well and this week paul ac talks to not only peterson but the show's producer j chris wall and in our second segment Another much-loved franchise from back in the day, the 1980s, 1988 to be precise, (laughs) returns for an encore performance in a new TV version, and that series is called Willow. And Paul, Bob, Hoos, and I will unpack everything you need to know about the latest Disney Plus show aiming at young audiences. Before we jump in, I would also encourage you to follow the Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcasts. Take a minute to leave a review for others who might be wondering what it is all about. And as you might have guessed already, joining me today are Paul Acey and Bob Hoos. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Well, since we're talking about throwback reboots, that being Willow, I thought it would be fun to brainstorm what reboot I mean there's only like three things left right (laughs) (laughs) so there's one for each of us to pick (laughs) from so choose wisely if you could reboot any old TV show or movie I'm not going to like put really tight parameters on this what would you love to see a new version of and why go go okay I'll go Uh,
1: you know when you bring it up my mind automatically goes back to the uh like 60s and 70s shows shows that you don't see that kind of show anymore yeah uh and because i always as a kid I, i remember loving these broad fantasy shows these things that that just captured your imagination like like for example i dream of genie uh-huh. Or my mother, the car. I, I know <laughs> people don't even know what these shows Bob, are. I have never heard of my uh, mother. Is that well, real? Or did you? just it was. A, no, just well, it, that was up? it was. Yeah. A, it was. A, it was a, about this guy who had a car that was sort of haunted by his mother. It's. A, I know a really bizarre. Well, I'm gonna go look it up. <laughs> really bizarre, but that 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 kind of a broad fantasy show, I'd love to see remade again because we tend to either be really dark these days in a lot of our TV shows, or focused on trying to push some sort of cultural agenda, and I'd like to see something just broad and fantasy and whimsical. Okay.
0: Very good. And I would like to see my mother, the car. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never seen the show. It's but it's probably I've on heard YouTube. Yeah.
2: So I would be very interested to check that out. Paul, what so, are you bringing for us? You know, I am going to go exactly like Hoose. Only different. Only different. And because this will be <laughs> two out go, of the three shows available and that will have been taken. <laughs> I'm gonna go dark and with a with a an agenda. And it would be a remake of Gilligan's Island. <laughs>
0: And what would the agenda be exactly?
2: Well, see, here you go. You the the, the island is filled with all these archetypes, right? Yeah, you've got yeah. the you've got the capitalist, you've got these this worker boss dynamic Brainy going scientist. on. Brainy scientist. Brainy scientist. You've got elements of sexism in there. I think you could really yeah, yeah. remake Gilligan's Island into a taut, grim Breaking Bad type of story. Well, you know they did that. (laughs) It was actually (laughs) called
0: Lost. (laughs) No?
2: No, 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 no. No. That doesn't work.
0: Okay, so... A taut and grim version of Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Also note to self, pray for Paul this week. He's not in a good space. (laughs) That's right. Or or don't let Disney hear about it because we may see it. So I'm going to go with something slightly more whimsical, less taut and less grim. Less grim. I'm going to go with uh, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, The Herculoids. Oh, oh, the Herculoids. I want to see a live-action version of the Herculoids. Oh,
2: that would be really great. And, I would be totally on board for and,
0: that. And then, because it's my question and I'm hosting, my second choice would be Johnny Quest. No, you... And then we'll follow it up with Johnny Quest.
1: How about Gor- Gorilla? Miguel yeah. and Gorilla, you ever see that one? Another
0: show I've never heard of.
1: No. <laughs> what, about, what about Captain
0: Caveman? Captain Caveman? Caveman? Yeah, yeah. That would be awesome too. Yeah. Anyway, the train is now officially off the rails. The Herculoids, man. But I think the Herculoids would be fantastic you as know, a movie.
2: honestly, Adam, I would love to do just a full podcast on the Herculoids. Whoa. Love the Herculoids. I mean, I think we'd get three or four listens. Yeah, that's easier. right. A lot of people <laughs> listen to that one. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I love those choices. And now we're going to hear from Paul as he talks to the folks behind the new Wingfeather series.
2: Hey, I'm talking about the Wingfeather saga, Angel Studios' upcoming animated show with two people who know more about Wingfeather than anyone else on the planet. Andrew Peterson, who actually wrote the Wingfeather saga, and J. Chris Wall, an animated veteran who, along with Andrew, is executive producing the series. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thank you. Thanks for
2: having us. It's really thrilled to talk to you guys, uh, Andrew. I wanted to start with you because you are kind of a triple threat in the world of entertainment, right? You started off as a singer. You started writing these best-selling books, the Wing Feather Saga. Now you are executive producing this television show. Um, what drove you to writing? First of all, I mean, did, was that something that you have always wanted to do? Even when you were when you were doing your musical career?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I, so, you know, the kind of songs that I write are tend to be pretty story driven. Um, I'm kind of a word nerd. Um, so I'm way, way more of a, a songwriter than a singer. Um, and in that, you know, I, I knew that I, I didn't have some amazing voice, so I was going to focus on the lyrics. And so, you know, that I just have always been a pretty bookish kid who uh, read poetry and love to draw and 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 so I was drawn to stories but then you know I music is the thing that just kind of was the thing that I ended up doing but meanwhile I had carried in my in my heart this dream that one day I'd get a chance to write a fantasy novel just because I grew up reading those books like I loved them dearly and so uh yeah it was like it was reading the Narnia books to my kids when they were old enough for them that kind of made me go all right I've got to know what this is like I want to write a a big story that we can read with our kids together and um yeah that's kind of how it started
2: yeah that's fascinating you know because i grew up on narnia too uh read them to my kids um this is a question for both of you um I know that, that the Narnia books was deeply influential. I know that that when we do anything at Plugged In over the Lord of the Rings or anything and connected with it, it, it gets a huge response. Is there something about the genre of fantasy? And Wing, the Wing Feather saga is definitely a fantasy. Is there something about the genre that allows storytellers to tell some more powerful spiritual truths?
4: Oh, my. Good heavens. Uh- <laughs> Andrew and I both grew up like reading fantasy books, you know, by secular authors, and then of course, Lord of the Rings and and Narnia. And what you're driving at is what's that interesting difference between there? Because there's something that Tolkien and Lewis could do in their stories that maybe others didn't, right? And um, it it feels passive to me. So as just a reader of books like these for our family, there's something you can feel in the storyteller in the worldview that starts to move things. And that little bit of separation to fairy tale, right, uh, allows, I think, your mind and heart to open up and consider choices characters are making outside of what you experience in your day to day, right? In your town, in your city, in your nation, Um, that you can consider truths spiritually, uh, truths that are, you know, political in nature, other things like that in a fairy tale context that you would shut your minds off as C.S. Lewis talks about the watchful dragons, right. That say (laughs) in our conscious mind that say, no, I won't let that in, uh, that stories have a way of doing something else and fantasy stories in particular for our family have been some of the most powerful experiences. Of course, Lord of the Rings. And I did Lord of the Rings as a read aloud with my kids. I don't recommend it. (laughs) It's so hard.
2: It's so long. Once you start getting Uh, into that elevation, it's just, it's downhill from there.
4: Oh my gosh. The council Elrond never ends. (laughs) Um, but the, uh, uh, it, reading Andrew's books actually were really fun when he first introduced me to them because they had short chapters, uh, <laughs> and yes, <laughs> uh, but there is something in those stories that does, uh, that's really special. And and it was something that was very personally affecting to me as we read the story, um, with my six kids, just finding like, wow, that's actually, Andrew had written in this, the stories are true, uh, as a note to me. And I was like, uh, like no man it's like talking lizards it's not true like we're talking about (laughs) right but it's true in that the experience and i think whether you're reading narnia and you're reading about the the journey of those kids you're like what they're experiencing is true to my own experience it's very different in its setting but what's happening between the characters and the choices they make and the repercussions the redemption that's possible all that is true and i think that is something pretty magical in fantasy stories
2: yeah. Yeah. So you were familiar with the Wingfeather Feather Saga before this whole project started, right?
4: Correct. Yeah. I had, I, Andrew had given me the books along the journey, like in 2008 said, Hey, I wrote a book. And I was like, Oh, cause I knew him as a singer songwriter. Right. And quite skilled. And I was like, Oh, a book that's, I don't know that I can accept that. It's like, you know, <laughs> Steve, Steve Martin saying, I'm playing banjo. You're like, and telling jokes like, <laughs> no, no, I'm actually going to. So I read it somewhat out of obligation because I knew I'd see him again and it'd be <laughs> awkward and so when I read it to my kids they were like this is really fun I'm like I know this is great you know and then by the second third and fourth books it just it deeply affected our family me personally reading aloud and crying and like I'm not a crier but the story really <laughs> moved in, in really powerful ways so yes yeah, so along that journey as they uh released uh got to be part of that and then he and I started talking about working together
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask about the collaboration, how that came about. I mean, because this is a very, very ambitious project. Um, and the idea that it's crowdfunded, you know, it's apparently the biggest crowdfunded family show in history up to this
4: point. Is that right? How did It you... is. We have to use the word family because there's another adult animated series that that has beaten us, but we're going to catch them. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's crazy. And, and, and this is all Andrew because he'd done a Kickstarter for the fourth book and was like, I believe in the community of people to support this kind of thing. Yeah, Um, yeah. and they have
2: really cool really cool it's got to be a scary project to sort of dive into you know because you're putting out so much work and you don't necessarily know i mean i know that wing feather has has a huge following but you don't necessarily know how people are going to receive this animated version so i would imagine that it's pretty gratifying to see kind of how people did respond and how they did uh, funnel money into this project
3: yeah it's it's been amazing to see and and you know it's still a little scary it's a huge like, I, I don't think until this process that I ever came close to appreciating how much work goes into a 30-minute episode of an animated show. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is mind-blowing, you know? Yeah. And it, 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 seeing it happen from the inside has softened my critique of so many things that I didn't <laughs> like. I would be like, man, that may not have been good, but somebody worked really, really hard to try to make it good, you yeah. know? So it's kind of a, it's a miracle when all of those pins line up perfectly and it all ends up not only being beautiful to look at, but being a beautiful story and that it's entertaining and it works on all the levels. And so, you know, that's what we hope happens with this story. But I just, I remember apologizing to Chris, you know, when we were like three years into this process and I realized that, you know, he hadn't slept for 72 hours and he was doing all this work. I was like, we, you know, when I suggested that we do this, I had no idea what I was really asking of you. And, uh, and same is true of the, the team. It's just this incredible team of animators that have worked so hard. And, like, we're right here now on the verge of getting to share that work with the world. And uh, I could not be prouder of it.
2: So let me ask you about the collaboration process itself, you know, because I would imagine that there's always going to be a little bit of attention, especially with you, Andrew, as, as the writer, not everything in the book is going to make it to the screen. How does that collaboration work as you're trying to decide how to bring these, these novels to this quote unquote television audience? How does that
3: work? Mm -hmm. Well, the the part of the reason, uh, and Chris, you can jump in whenever you want, but part of the reason I was so excited about doing this as a series and not just a standalone film is that we would have time to stretch out a little bit and really get into the all the corners of the world you know we wouldn't have to cut quite so much out but I also uh, like I'm not it, it may sound pretentious to say that I'm like a student of television and film or whatever <laughs> I'm definitely not but I am uh, I love it like I, I do enjoy that kind of storytelling and so I didn't come into it with any illusions that we would have to be rigid about translating every single scene to the screen um, and so it was really fun to be honest to sit in the room with the writers and what and you know they worked for a week you know to try to like break down book one into season one and figure out what the little individual story arcs would be. And I felt like the between the novels and the series, like we've gotten closer to the heart of what the actual story is than if we had only done one of the two. Does that make sense? Oh, that's interesting. So it's, not ex- it's not exactly the same, but it's like the metaphor of the elephant. You know, it's right. kind of like, this is, the books are coming out of this way, the 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 TV show's coming out of this way. And I think that it's, it's, they're all pointing toward like, the true heart of what this story is and so it's kind of a fun ex- chance to see it through another lens.
2: That's really interesting. So really y- even though even though you wrote these books, you feel like like this screen version of them brings out new facets to the story that you always wanted to tell.
3: Definitely, definitely. And one of the cool things about like it's it's pretty rare for an author to get to be in the room for this stuff. <laughs> you know, usually usually you just kind of sign it over and then that's it because you, 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 there's too many cooks in the kitchen. So I feel very uh, honored that I get to be a part of it. And so very, every now and then, you know, I'll be like, Hey, you know, this, that isn't, it doesn't quite line up with who Janner is as a character or, um, whatever, you know, there's something that's going to happen later in the books that we need to make sure that we're careful and thinking about now. But for the most part, um, you know, using the books as the source material, uh, the team has just honored that and worked really hard to keep the show as true to the books as they can.
4: That's great. And we really, you know, essentially, we talked about a lot as a team, imagining Andrew as some sort of documentarian who had observed the story in a real time and wrote his version, right? And then now we get to come and tell our version. It won't break what he saw, but can be a fresh experience. Because one of the things about adaptation, there's a reason the Oscars give, uh, you know, awards for adaptation, is because you can make derivative real easily right? Where you do it. People say they want page for page adaptation. <laughs> no, they don't. Right. It's super boring. <laughs> uh, and in, in our case, it's like, what could make a fresh experience for an audience? It's the same story they love, but told in a way that's unique. Obviously, it's on television, so it's half hour episodes. So automatically that format is different. But what can we do visually that, that Andrew couldn't do? What can we do to get you know inside characters that isn't the author telling you what's going on in those characters? All that kind of work. One, makes it a fresh experience, and then also stays true to the, the story elements that worked. One of the things that Andrew has got to do over the years is some read-alouds. Oh, cool. That's like playing a concert, right? right? So he has an intrinsic understanding of like, here's the things that I know worked, that really played well, that the audience really responded to, that they've gone on message boards and chatted about. Like, here's what I know, so let's make sure we protect those. Things. Uh, and then just kind of back into the process, because for us, we knew we wanted to tell the first book in the first season, and we have six episodes that are half hours each okay start to break it down with well, this episode does this work and then you go through your television formatting to kind of get all that sorted out um and the other thing i will tell you when you start along a long narrative journey because we hope to tell the whole story all four books over seven seasons is that we have a great ending uh, and there's some confidence that comes to the storyteller when you know oh this ends well and many of our team have read the books or listened to audiobooks of them and they have that same sensation so as I'm setting off on that journey, it's not unlike fellowship, where like I can spend some time in the Shire because I'm headed to Mount Doom, yeah, and it's going to be awesome, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you just know. And I think I, the the joy for me of finishing the series when I read it for the first time and going, "Oh my, this ended so well!" This huge epic serialized story um, that didn't do what Lost did to so many of us and just break us over so much <laughs> bad stories. Um,
2: we could go into know, that, the- but that's another so that's well. another podcast.
4: Yeah. <laughs> But it does, it gives you a lot of confidence as a storyteller. And we have, a, one of our big points of inspiration was Avatar Airbender, yep. the Nickelodeon series mm-hmm. uh, that just unfolded so beautifully and was both playful, winsome, and then epic. And I think that that one stands as, for us, kind of a North Star of like, that's the experience we'd love to create where it was created for a certain kid audience, but uh, adults and teens were like, no, no, this is our baby, you know, and all could access. And that's the kind of story we'd like to tell here. And the the format of what Andrew had written was just perfect for it. Yeah,
2: yeah, very cool. One of the things as is, is I was watching the first episode that really struck me was the style of animation. You know, I, I think oftentimes in the, the world of CGI that we live in, sometimes the animation can all look kind of the same across a lot of different platforms. This is totally unique, totally different. Mm-hmm. It felt almost watercolor-y in some ways. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that came
4: about. Man, okay, so it starts with curiosity. Uh, that CGI animation was created to make photoreal imagery. It was its core idea at the beginning of it. And it's been on a journey to create that through lots of great scientists and machinery and otherwise. And it began with this question of, but could CGI do something else? And that started back in 2016 when Andrew and I first got together. We got with my good friend, Keith Lango, who is our animation philosopher. And he said, hey guys, I've been thinking for a long time about could animation be just done differently as an art form? Uh, that yes, John Lasseter set something in motion with Pixar, and he really did, built the industry about this is how CGI shall be made. And yet what we see is a lot of times there is um, a cheap version of that's offered, right? And so it's a derivative, It's especially in independent and in, in television animation, it's the cheaper version and everything feels a little thin and, and kind of brought down. And I said, how do we grapple with this? Because I don't want to make that. I want craft. The other important thing that had happened is we had gotten these art of books uh, while I was at DreamWorks, with mm-hmm. all of us, at studios, mm-hmm. all good things. And we're like, oh my gosh, the art in this is so beautiful. And something about when it went into the computer, it got a little antiseptic. Like, what could we do to keep the purity of this? The artist actually having, their, you could see their handprints on the frame. And that brought about this kind of introduction of a style and frankly some technology that allowed us to bring uh, that uh, right on screen uh, so the artist painting is exactly what you're seeing and we have characters that are cgi in a, in a hand-painted world when an audience engages in a story that is pixel perfect photoreal, their imagination is turned off right really right it's just it's all right there on screen we wanted to go more abstract to invite the audience in to engage your imagination about what they're seeing that you the greatest of 2d films uh, miyazaki of course is wonderful at this you hint at something that's there but you don't give it all And let the audience go i wonder what that is and leave it let the magic kind of unfold visually as much as you're doing in the story um and those were key targets and when we first tested this actually back in 2017 with a short film we had studios everywhere netflix paramount apple everybody look at this and go oh my gosh this is amazing (laughs) but they said but we don't think audiences will accept it they really want the pixar look and we were oh, so like, hmm. we were like, no, there's a glut of CGI, as you said. Everybody's seen this. We, we, you gotta change. Not long after Spider-Man Spider-Verse came out. <laughs> and suddenly the whole industry went on second thought, we're interested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we find ourselves kind of on the leading edge in but after a long journey. Again, we started this in 20, really, it was fall of 2015 when we first did our first render and testing of this of this kind of approach to visual development.
2: Yeah, yeah. It is interesting. One of the things that, that struck me about that answer was just the idea of using the animation to allow the imagination to flourish, you know? Because I think that that can be a danger, especially if you're a word person. When you bring something to screen, all of a sudden people look at the characters and they're not quite how they visualized it. But this sort of allows imagination to to sort of grow within the audience, right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, you said it well. I don't know how to add anything to what you just said. <laughs> I will say one of the things, you know, that a lot of people say they want to do that, but then in practice they get nervous and they yeah. they bring it down yeah. and they, and they, you know, you do George Lucas and you make midichlorians, like you just don't <laughs> let it flow. And I think, I will say this is one of the things that, that coming into this out of edgy tales and, and just kind of out of the, the kind of Christian side of this, you know, we, we engage to set a fantasy series in motion. We are both Christians, but we didn't set out to do a Christian fantasy series because that becomes something else. We set out to make a really cool fantasy series that lots of people can engage with. Something in our tradition of kind of Christian storytelling, in the United States has really fallen into didactic where we, we are scared of mystery and we, we want to get everything nailed down. You know, that like, we can't let Gandalf be Gandalf. We go Gandalf. Okay. You know who he is, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't, uh, you're ruining it. We want to let the mystery unfold. And that, that takes some intentional choices because you do, as a storyteller, want to draw people to, you see that choice that character made, you see how that's important mm-hmm. in your own mm-hmm. life and like, uh, right. let that just do what it does to be a, yeah, really... have a... go ahead.
3: Oh, sorry, I was just going to say that a friend of mine told me the wing feather saga isn't overtly Christian, but it is deeply Christian. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea that like, yeah, we're just trying to tell a fantasy story, but we're also allowing room for the Holy spirit to do what he wants with it.
2: That's fantastic. Yeah. And and you do have to be trusting of your audience that they're going to draw those dots for themselves. And sometimes those dots might might not be drawn until second or third or fourth work time through. Sure. Sure. So, Andrew, when you were writing this, you've mentioned somewhere that you really wanted to write something that you as a 10-year-old would have loved to read. When you look at the books... Who, what of the three main kids that are part of it do you find yourself most associating with as your 10 year old you? Uh, Janner, who's sort of a a bookish type of kid, uh, Tink, very athletic, or just sweet little Lily?
3: (laughs) Uh, man, sweet little Lily uh, has a pretty awesome story arc. I can't wait for people to see. Uh, But (laughs) the you know, it's kind of like the question I when I go to schools and kids ask me, Who's your favorite character? Uh, I never know the answer to that question. I'm always just kind of like, man, it depends on what I have for breakfast. I just, <laughs> some days it's Pete the Sock Man, some days it's Janner. But, you know, the truth is there's a little bit of the author in all of those characters in some of their strengths, but especially in their weaknesses. You know, there was a day when, toward the end of the series, and I hope this doesn't spoil anything, but, but you know, I was so inside Janner's head for the four books in you know, 10 years of, of telling the story 99% of it through his perspective and um and it wasn't until i got to the fourth book that it occurred to me that his what his central flaw was yeah. and i was kind of like oh that's what's going on here you know as the author of the story i was kind of like surprised to find that it could all be boiled down to one kind of brokenness that he he was operating out of and and man that could not be truer to me like there's so many times in my life where i'll i'll interpret something one way and then 10 years later i look back and i'm like oh man was i wrong i I didn't (laughs) even realize what was broken in me that led to that situation so i think in that sense it's like all three of the kids um i wanted them to feel like real characters you know they round characters is how people put it so like you you think that you understand what who a character is, and then they do something surprising. And then upon reflection, you realize that that surprising thing was still in line with who they were as a character, right? Um, and that's how people are, that's how we are. And so um, as for the 10 year old kid part of me, it, it kind of just boils down to me trying to find a way to keep the kids turning pages, uh, make the story as wonderful and fascinating and painful and beautiful as I possibly could Um, all in the hopes that it would get at that mysterious kind of flutter in the stomach that we all kind of know, like there are moments in certain stories where we feel this transcendent moment or a pot or like the story is more than itself sometimes. Um, and that is something that the author isn't in control of. That's something like, it would like, it's kind of like when you, you know, tell somebody about Jesus, you're like, you can tell the story as well as you can. And sometimes it works and it gets the person's attention. And sometimes it doesn't. Right. But the our job is to just kind of be obedient to telling that story and to entrust the results to the Lord. And so I kind of feel like that with the Wing Feather saga. I'm my job, I have got no control over what the story is going to do in somebody, but I do want to set the table, you know, and try to allow for the possibility of something wonderful.
2: Wow. Wow. That's great. Andrew, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate having the chance to talk with you about this. Wing Feather Saga on December 2nd is when it launches. Is that correct?
4: Yeah. Coming up great. Big day.
2: Big day. Thanks so much for being with us.
4: Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great Thanks to for here. having us. Good to see you.
0: Well, now it's time for our second segment, and I thought... Coming out of the conversation, Paul, that you just had with the Wing Feather folks, um, I know, Bob, you have been reading the first yeah, Wing Feather yeah. book. And before we dive into Willow, I would love to just hear kind of what your experience of the book has been since we've been talking about the TV series.
1: Well, I picked it up thinking that we might review it as a book review, and then realized, oh, we already did. We already Already did. did. Way back when. We're so
0: good, we did it 14 years ago. That's right. We
1: already reviewed the first book. But I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was such a well-written book. You know, you mentioned it being a Christian series. Yeah. But the fact is, it doesn't. It has lots of really nice moral lessons in it, but it's not something where you... Where you would worry, oh, is this going to feel preachy to my kids when they read it or something? It's not that at all. In fact, it's a great adventure yarn, really well written, and very immersive. And you really, you get into these characters, and the way the author just sort of weaves this tale is so inviting and and lots of great adventure, too. It's And it's essentially about, the first one anyway, is essentially about these three siblings and their family and and this fantasy world that they live in, uh, over, overseen by these things called fangs yeah. of the dang, yep. you know? And yep. uh, it, uh, I don't know if that, because I've only read the first one, I don't know if that carries on throughout the series, but uh, it's it's very, very good. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well,
2: it was just fascinating to talk with these guys about sort of that creation. And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned to them was just ask them about whether fantasy just... If there's something about the genre that really allows these stories to flourish, you know? Mm-hmm. And
0: I think that, that... And the short answer was yes, right? The
2: short answer was yes. <laughs> I think that it does give a lot of freedom to, to sort of talk about some cool stuff.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. and see, so you can talk about moral ideas and and talk about uh moral themes in a fantasy world it seems so much easier than in the realistic world right i mean i don't know i don't know i've never tried to write a fantasy novel but it it feels like it would lend itself to these broad concepts so much easier than something, yeah. you know, nuts and bolts from yeah, today.
2: Yeah, and you can talk about these big, broad, important concepts without it feeling like you're being hit over the head. Right.
0: right. I love that. And I, I also love, and then we'll transition over to talking about Willow, I also love having a new story franchise on the horizon. I was not yeah. familiar with Wingfeather Feather before we began to get some press releases on it earlier this year, But I love having a new story to dive into, and it sounds like both in print and on the screen, this is going to be a delightful one for families. So that is a perfect segue to my next question, which is Willow. Uh, Willow. And and we're going to find out whether the new TV reboot is a delightful one for families. But uh, those of us of a certain age who might have been around in 1988 and going to movies probably remember Willow. But my guess is there are a lot of people who aren't familiar with the original movie. So let's let's start by sort of backing up the train a little bit and give us just a little bit of background about the original movie from 1988 and then where and how this new series on Disney Plus connects to that. So, guys, what do we need to know about the original? And then, Paul, you can tell us about the new one.
2: So the original Willow was actually sort of made at a time when CGI was in its very, very earliest it's stage. Infancy. It's infancy, exactly. And back in that day, you know, fantasy stories were a little bit they weren't Lord of the Rings, right? They right. weren't Game <laughs> of Thrones. They were fun. They were they were light. They tended to have a lot of you know, some of them now, we look at them and they're a little bit campy. Willow was sort of a, right Crystal. on the edge. <laughs> dark Crystal was not campy. That no, was,
0: it was just dark.
2: I'm thinking and Legend. Was... I'm thinking Kroll. Yes. yes. So, oh,
0: Kroll. Oh, man. Wow. We need a Kroll podcast, too. Yeah. Right after with the Herculoids. The Herculoids.
2: <laughs> right after the Herculoids. So essentially, the story is uh, it revolves around this little baby, Princess Allura. Uh, she is supposedly this this person who is has been prophesied to take down this Evil queen. The queen wants to kill her.
0: I've seen this one before. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting because it's kind of it has, Disney-ish, right? It's kind of Disney-ish and it's a little bit biblical because what happens is they actually rescue this little baby by putting her on this raft of grass, essentially, puts her in a river. I've seen that one. Goes before. down Where to did they this. Get that story? It's
0: amazing. Does <laughs> Yule Brunner show up at some point? <laughs> goes down
2: <laughs> and it, it arrives in this Nelly. Nelwyn village. The Nelwins are these shorter people, right? Yeah. Dwarves. Uh, it, and it finds its way to this want-to-be sorcerer named Willow.
0: It's played by Warwick Davis, right?
2: Exactly. And then it becomes sort of this rollicking adventure story. Oh, I love where rollicking. F- <laughs> where hmm. you gather all these people in to save this little girl and take down the evil queen.
0: Okay, so that's the movie. That's the movie. And it came out- you know 35 years ago ish right i'm an english major i'm not going to do that math in my head i don't want to hurt myself um so so what now what's happening with willow circa 2022
2: circa 2022 we are looking at the story picking up decades later so it's not mm-hmm.
0: a reboot it it's, is not a, a sequel
2: it is a sequel. That is exactly right. It is a continuation of the story. Alora has grown up now, but no one really knows who she is, including Alora herself. She's sort of been hidden away. Um, but now there's sort of there's been a lot of peace in the kingdom now with oh, the main characters from <laughs> from the original movie. She is now she is now queen of this kingdom. Okay. She is about to uh, create this this alliance with a neighboring kingdom through a marriage. She is marrying off her daughter to the other king's son. This is an issue because the daughter, um, she actually is she has feelings for her female best friend. Oh, so okay. There you go. So there you go. Um, I was just about to say, well, how did they modernize it? There you go. (laughs) There you go. So her name is Kit. She is not very thrilled with this marriage. That's sort of the setup. But as they are sort of doing the pre-marriage banquet or whatnot, uh, evil forces attack this kingdom, kidnap Kit's twin brother zips him off to who his knows name, where
0: no <laughs> that's Kat. kind of funny I know right that's kind of funny
2: his name is See, Eric he's yeah, not
0: here to mock my dad jokes <laughs> this week
2: <laughs> so he's spirited away and then of course we need to have another rollicking adventure to rescue Eric from these evil forces
4: my brother was abducted the world needs you again it needs your magic
0: follow me we must go beyond the edge of our world,
1: into the unknown.
2: Cat rallies a lot of people together. She has her best friend and love interest as part of the party. The prince is part of the party. They have this guy, this sort of swashbuckling character.
0: Swashbuckling uh, and rollicking?
2: Exactly. Exactly. He's a scallywag.
1: He is a scallywag, too. Wow.
2: <laughs> His name is Borman. He becomes part of the team. And then they have this kitchen maid, essentially. She's really good at making muffins. She sort of sneaks along because she was Eric's latest love interest, and she thinks that Eric is her true love. So she sort of hitches a ride with this group. They go out to find Willow, who is one of the very last people who can use magic, and magic is the only thing that will save this kingdom.
0: And Willow probably looks like Gandalf at this point low these many years later.
2: He has is, he is held up pretty well. He's I held up pretty just, well. I will just okay. say that.
0: You know how magic works, you
2: know. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's essentially the setup of this story. They're going on another fantastic adventure to rescue this prince and
0: save the world. So obviously, in just what you've described, the same-sex attraction... Is going to be one of the things that anybody who watches this is going to have to to navigate. Um, what other things turn up here? Yeah, I, I was going to ask.
1: Does it still have the same kind of fantasy feel mm-hmm. as yeah. before, yeah. or have they have they readjusted?
2: No, it really does have the same feel to it. You know, the original Willow was light. It was yeah. funny. It wasn't meant to be taken too seriously. This one feels very much like it. You can think of sort of a worse version of the Princess Bride in a way. <laughs> <You> know,
0: <laughs> they should advertise it that way. <laughs> a poor
2: man's Princess Bride. Well, it, it sort of has that feel CGI. to it. It's, it's, it is this romp this adventure story that we're just supposed to sail along with Um, and so because of that it has a lot of humor in it Uh, it has it's this is definitely not kind of rings of power if you're familiar with that you know this soaring epic story it is not that this feels this feels a little bit more whimsical Whimsical. I think that that's Sorry, a good
0: word. you know, we had rollicking, swashbuckling, and now whimsical. You got to fill in all those words. Exactly. Right. You know, if I feel like we need bingo cards, we that's do right, need
2: <laughs> bingo cards. I think that would be great. So, uh, so it does have that same sort of feel, the same sort of humor. Now, yeah. the original willow had some risque humor attached to it as well. And this is no exception. You will have some sexual illusions. Its body is probably a little bit too strong, but you do have some double entendres. You have some definitely some winking asides that the adults will get. Depending on how young the kids are, they might not catch them,
1: but you never know. Well, the original was pretty weak too, to be honest. I mean in terms of as a film <laughs> you know, I it was actually, just sort of like Meh. Paul loved it.
2: Uh, I didn't love it. And I'll <laughs> but I tell you what, it holds up better than you would think it would. You know, I watched it just a few months ago and I I think I enjoyed it more now really? than I did back then. So I think well, it really actually... That's pretty actually, interesting, actually. Yeah, it, it, it actually holds up better than you would expect.
0: And as a nostalgia experience for adults who saw it when we were But We Lads the first time, does this build on the story in a way that feels satisfying, even though we've obviously got some content caveats that are fairly significant?
2: So I haven't seen the entire series, of course, but right. I think that the the story itself... It probably feels a little like I felt about the original movie
0: (laughs) back in the day. Back in the day, where it
2: feels fun yet disappointing. Um, You're going to have some other issues as parents. Obviously, the same sex attraction is going to be a big deal. There's a lot of violence that you're going to have to deal with. The magic is part of the story, Hmm. Um, so you're going to have um, some things to navigate. And and the language is pretty harsh. Whimsical, but
0: see note below
2: exactly exactly so it's a fun diversion it's not one of those things where you will say man willow is the best show of this year um but you know I think for families that can navigate some of the content issues that we have here it might you know there are there are worse ways to spend an, an evening for sure and if you're a can't... poor
0: man's princess bride <laughs> yeah. there are worse ways to spend an evening. <laughs> You know, if that it's, doesn't make you want to watch this show, yeah, I don't know right. what will. And, it's and
1: You know, uh, if it's, if it's if fun. all else fails you, we can do a letter writing campaign about doing my mother the car. You know, we can send them out. Let's get this one
0: going. I think that feels like an appropriate place to park this conversation under the willow tree. No, that was <laughs> a that was a stretch. That was too far, too far. Well, thanks, Paul, for bringing us up to speed on the latest reboot to land on Disney+. Plus. Well, now it's time for a part of the show. We like to call Name That Movie, and we will give you a rollicking, whimsical, probably not body description of a movie that exaggerates some characteristic-
1: Because we're scallywags.
0: Is, because right, we're scally- because we're scallywags, yeah. and, and some of us even have nefarious moments. Um <laughs> And uh, the rest of us, which I guess is the two who aren't talking, will have to guess what it is. So Mm -hmm. who wants to lead off on Name That Movie? Sure, Paul, you can go.
2: Oh, my goodness. You've been voluntold. (laughs) That that doesn't seem appropriate. You should go first, Okay, I will.
0: No way, really? A man in a boat does battle with a flaming mountain.
1: Oh.
2: A man in a boat does battle with a flaming mountain. Joe versus the
0: volcano? Joe versus the volcano.
1: Oh, wow. And that's an obscure film, too. Most people at home will say, what? i got to look that one up.
0: Right? There you go. That was a weird movie. It was a weird movie. Okay. Another podcast, another time.
1: Yeah. Mine's much more mainstream. Hercules. Um, Let's see. A brawny protagonist climbs a building, peeps and then screams at
0: the world. Peeps and screams blind. King Kong? Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm like, how many brawny protagonists climbing buildings you are? It's know, gotta I, be King Kong. I didn't I was, say
1: climbs a skyscra- skyscraper. You'd get it just like that. See,
2: but. I was going to go King Kong, but the screaming part. Well, he gets to the top goes, and goes, rack Screaming.
0: Right?
1: Because planes.
2: Okay. It's more of a roar than a scream.
1: Paul. Well, that's how gorillas, giant gorillas gotcha. scream. They gotcha, notice,
2: gotcha. It's a roar. Okay, here's mine. A girl conquers a world of kings, queens, and castles, and along the way saves her and her family from crushing poverty.
1: I was going to say Alice in Wonderland when you started, but... Uh, I'll read it, say it
0: again.
2: A girl conquers a world of kings, queens, and castles, and along the way saves her and her family from crushing poverty.
0: You know, I feel like this game is really hard. (laughs) Because I'm going to need more.
2: All right. So it's based on a true story. Uh, Do I get a prize if you don't get it? Maybe. All right. Good.
0: Bob, you got anything? No. Hmm. Do we get one more clue?
2: One more clue. She comes from Uganda.
1: Wow,
0: you're making it harder, actually. (laughs)
1: I'm like,
0: (laughs) you know, know. my Uganda file is totally empty. (laughs) That's right. So you're just going to have to tell us. What is it?
2: The Queen of Kotwe.
0: Oh, man. That was... Now, that's an obscure film. Now,
2: it it is... See, mine was obscure,
0: but it was straightforward. I, I'll tell Man you what Man Fights Flaming Mountain Joe versus the <laughs> Volcano I practically told you what it was
2: One of the reasons why I brought it up is because it is a movie that I think our audience would really oh, okay. dig
0: Okay so you there have you an go. ulterior okay. motive with Yeah our
2: it's game. a right. really great movie it's a fantastic movie about this girl who learns how to play chess
1: Okay And the original King Kong is a, is a film that I think our audience would like too The original
0: Right The original Not the 1977 no, version no, I wouldn't go there but... Or the later one all Actually,
1: right. the you know, the original it was well before CGI, but it was still amazing.
0: Yep. I agree. And poor King Kong. But anyway, we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> and speaking of time, we'd like to say thank you to those of you listening today for spending some of yours with us. We love having a chance to talk to you each week about all the stuff happening in the realm of pop culture and technology. And we hope to be... A place of encouragement and fun, but also really maybe giving you something that keeps you in the game. Because sometimes as parents, it can just feel overwhelming. How do we deal with all this stuff that's out there? I don't even know what it is. And weeks like this one would give you maybe some great alternatives to consider entertainment-wise. Because... Heaven knows there are enough weeks where we're calling stuff out that's problematic. I'm thankful for stories like the Wingfeather Feather Saga yeah. because they give us a great, great alternative. And if you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. That's the best way to get our show out there. And you can also leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to hear from you. Are Willow or Wingfeather Feather on your radar to check out? Tell us why or why not. And, you know, it could be maybe you've been a super fan of one or the other or both for a very long time. And
2: and let us know if you want to actually hear a Herculoids podcast.
0: Oh, the Herculoids <laughs> podcast. I It might be. Well, I guess we'll just have to do it and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you can always get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram or send us a message at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And maybe we'll even feature your message on an upcoming episode. So send them our way. And as our thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show today for a gift of any amount, we'd love to send you a copy of Jonathan McKee's book, Parenting Generation Screen. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show and on the blog entry for this week's conversation. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us today. We appreciate you. We appreciate of all of the stuff out there that you are choosing to spend your time with us. So be sure to come back next week and we will have another rollicking swashbuckling conversation about pop culture and technology on
4: The Plugged In Show.